Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on FUBAR Radio. We'll be joined by double BAFTA-nominated filmmaker mm-hmm. and author John Walsh, but you didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's chatting about his work with the Ray and Dinah Harryhausen Foundation as it's stop-motion wizard Ray Harryhausen's centenary year. There's lots of monster-fueled fun uh, coming in to, uh, 2020, and we're excited to talk about that. Are we, um, allowed, to, uh, are we allowed to make dinosaur noises? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got, have you got one? Yes. <laughs> That's very... Yeah, OK, perhaps, perhaps <laughs> not. Let's just, <laughs> let's just revise that. What better way to introduce our first guest today than with that exotic theme from Ray Harryhausen's Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Ray, of course, being the ultimate practitioner of stop-motion special effects. And our guest here, John Walsh. Hello, John. Good afternoon, James. Being a trustee of the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, which preserves Ray's extensive collection and furthers the art of model stop-motion animation. Hello, John. Do you have a basement full of Ray Harryhausen toys? I wish I did, but sadly no. But there is a basement full of, or a a large archive, full of his entire collection, 50,000 pieces. 50,000 pieces? What, most of them made by himself? Well, created for his production, so whether it's paperwork and f- photography or the creatures themselves. So we have 50,000 items, which makes wow. it the largest outside of the Walt Disney Company. Wow. And impressive. it's much cooler, obviously, because it's Ray Harryhausen. Do Absolutely. they include the skeletons from Jason the Argonaut? Yeah, that's my question. <laughs> yes, all of them. And the original skeleton, which was from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, because he actually became one of the children of the Hydra's teeth for Jason and the Argonauts. Huh. And we can identify which one he is. And can I have one? No. Okay. Worth a try. Can we all have Worth one? A uh, no. <laughs> okay. John's actually nodding, but uh, okay. Let's now look. There's a lot of love still for Ray Harryhausen and his style of effects. Uh, they're not as slick as computer-generated uh, creatures, and I think there's there's more life in them because of that. I often post about Ray's films on Twitter, and people regularly bemoan the soulless effects of today. So wished his style of effects were still being used. Is that realistic, though? I mean, do you think? that people are just speaking nostalgically and actually if we did stop motion on everything live action as well as animation that people would really go for that well look it's a question we regularly get asked you know is it an extinct um, technique well there's more stop motion on television and in cinema today than there was at any time when ray was working so there are more exponents of it from james and the giant peach um box trolls um, Coraline, Coraline, yeah, The like Isle of Lake Dogs. Yeah. You know, there's all those wonderful stop motion films that Tim Burton kind of inspired. Even, even Animal Lisa. I don't know if you saw that the Charlie yes. Kaufman movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so the, there's more of it. So the technique's still relevant. Can it be used in a mainstream um, remake, if you like, of one of Ray's films? Well, that's what we're in the process of doing. You know, we have the unmade follow-up to Clash of the Titans, Force of the Trojans, which is in f- official development now. And so that's the question we get asked: Will there be stop motion? What happens to CG? And, you know, what did Ray think of CG? Did he hate it? You know, and he didn't. He saw it as a, an extension of what he was doing. Mm. You know, colour was an extension of his work when colour came in. When widescreen anamorphic came in, he, he adopted that. They nearly filmed in 3D. So Ray would have eventually have... He was a, 
you know, he was an innovator, so he would have been embraced new technologies. So eventually he would have got round to computers, I guess, but he saw it as a digital pencil. When I was a kid, um, Ray Harryhausen was the first filmmaker, the first behind-the-scenes person that I was ever aware of. And, uh, you know, we would go and see films because they were presented as Ray Harryhausen films. And certainly, I mean, before we were interested in any directors, or really any actors, to be honest, um, you know, we knew what we were going to get from that. It was a guarantee of something special, you know, something beyond the kind of rubbery antics of Doug McClaw films, although I do love Warlords of Atlantis or, or Men in Suits from Godzilla films and I really hated uh, Men in Suit Godzilla movies um, or just blown up photography of lizards and people with, reacting with a fin I remember seeing Ray give a talk and it was amazing and he brought some of the, the models with him at the Royal Horticultural Hall in my lord 1980 Gosh. where he gave a talk about how the, the effects were, were rendered how he pioneered them and actually showed us he had a skeleton and I think he had one, something called Clash of the Titans he was a phenomenal man he was, you know, he was, he was a, an industry in himself. So he would create the creatures, he would write the storylines, he was co-producer of the films, he would do the animations, the lighting, the miniature sets and so on. So he was the only person involved in those sequences. Was Ray extremely important to you when you were a kid? Yes, I guess so. I mean, I used to go to the cinema to see those sorts of films when I was a, an 18-year-old film student, which was only a couple of years ago, Marshall. Yes. <laughs> um, I met him when I was a film student and made a documentary about his life and work. So I stayed in touch all the years and I became a trustee of his foundation. So we would talk about, you know, new trends, whether it's in television or film or the re-release of his films. He was very excited when DVD came along and then later on Blu-ray. So there was lots of questions around to what extent you should and can restore his work. And we had a kind of a little debate around the kitchen table as to how far that should go. And uh, it went something like this. Um, he got a call from Columbia Pictures that's looked after now by Sony and do a very good job. They were doing the Blu-ray for Jason and the Argonauts. And Ray said to me, I've been contacted by Grover Crisp who's the head of the archive there at Sony. It's a wonderful name, Grover yeah, Crisp. It sounds, sounds like, like a Muppet. Yeah. Well, or it sounds like a biscuit, doesn't it? Would you like a Grover Crisp? Oh, I yeah. would like a I, Grover have you got Crisp. One? Oh, I wish I had. Wish I had. And, uh, <laughs> Can I have a Grover Crisp light, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or an Oreo version. Sponsored by Grover Crisp. And so he said, look, Ray, we're doing the remaster. We're going to stabilise the image. Of course, we're going to give it stereo sound. We're going to remove any dirt and scratches, which is standard. Do you want any string or wire removal? Because in high definition... You can see that. And I was like, oh, no, no. You know, and Ray was like, oh, I think I will. And uh, I was like, what's your choice? And so there was a bit of a debate about, is that a step too far? Is that colouring the past? Um, but Ray went on to colour his black and white film. So but there you go. Still, I, I, don't, I, I, want to see, I want to see the strings and the wires. Do you know something? Yeah. I, you know, I grew up with, uh, with people like Marshall, who is... Uh, can we uh, declare this on radio? Yeah, yeah go yeah, for it. Okay. Go for it. We're lovers. Marshall and I'm sorry. Our cousins. Our cousins. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out there so and declare sorry. it. But, but, so when I grew up, I had to put up with people like Marshall. But one of the amazing <laughs> things is that in Los Angeles, Ray became very close friends with Ray Bradbury who, you know, the, the fantasy author of Illustrated Man and the Martian Chronicles. And you just think, wow, imagine just two incredible people that contrib contributed so much to the genre becoming lifelong friends from childhood uh, and then working together, I think, on Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms. They did. They uh, worked that on, was amazing. They worked on that. There was another project they didn't work on, but as men, they were polar opposites. Mm. Ray Bradbury was outspoken, an outspoken liberal who would... would who would decry a, a production if he didn't like it Martian Chronicles he did the press tour of that just slacing it to every every member of the press that would sit in front of him saying I hate this series I hate what they've done to my, to my book and whereas Ray Harryhausen would say pretty much nothing at all 
if um, you know if somebody uh, wanted him to, to to do a bit of gossip about a, a film person, he famously based Medusa on someone who was a famous Hollywood actress, and he wouldn't say until she died who that was. Whereas I imagine Ray Bradbury would have just been like, I'll tell you who it is. Oh, who, was it? Who, who, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? We've got oh. the same question. Well, I think Marshall knows the answer to this, but uh, if you guys want to have... You're no, no, you're going to ask this question. Can you get your buzzer and your thing ready? Who yeah. was it, Marshall? Do you know? Guess. Oh. No, 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 you go for it. I don't know who it is. I'm asking you. Ah, now, when I reveal it, think about her face, the lipstick, and the very high brow line of Medusa, Joan Crawford. Ah, I had no idea. Yeah, so when I do tours and talks at Comic Con, we we put the pictures together and people go. And Joan Crawford famously had a head full of snakes as well, didn't she? She did, and when people looked at her, at least a part of them turned to stone. Yeah, it was very (laughs) young years. This is very harsh. Very, very harsh. Uh, And before the watershed as well, I'm quite shocked. (laughs) You can say anything you want, as long as it's amusing. So uh, uh, well, I'm I'm off then. Um, <laughs> now, look, at the end of a, at the end of most blockbusters today, uh, when the credits just go on and on and on, don't they? And you often see like thousands of names. I mean, literally it's thousands of names sometimes who worked on the effects, multiple effects houses, people. Some people just coming in to do I know hair on the the you know rocket raccoon's head and smoke effects, and it's just it, it's enormous. When I think that actually Ray. Yes, just did the effects all by himself in his workshop um, in, in, in his house in, in London. Mm. And that uh, he did have some help. But it was what his, his mum made the costume sometimes. His on, dad made the armatures. Yeah. On it's some of the early films. Yeah. Well, yeah, he the, did it the, all himself. The fact is, I mean, it, it's art. I mean, the, yeah. uh, the work of the foundation, which is is excellent, is yes, some aspects of storytelling might seem a bit dated. We, we do everything in our house to encourage our kids to watch old movies and get the vocabulary so they can appreciate them. And I have to say that, that my youngest boy, the youngest son, Leo, he, he resists old movies most of the time. But I put on Seventh Voyage of Sinbad for him. Mm. And it was just created a sense of wonder. He's he's was completely transfixed, and it didn't matter that some of the effect techniques were fifty years old. He absolutely loved it. So yeah, bring the sequel on for Clash of the Titans. Bring it all back. It's lovely. Well, look, even from a commercial point of view, the films some of them have been scanned in four K. I had a four K premiere screening of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad last year at the Regent Street Cinema. There's money to be made. You know, Sony are not doing this to keep us happy. Yeah. They're doing this because there is a market for back catalogue releases, scanning now in 4K. If we all have 4K machines here, put your hands up. Is it just me? I yeah, don't like 4K. You. No, but actually between us, we've got 4K. Okay. If we add our machines together... I've got, like, I got most of a K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got most of Well, you know, K. films like The Shining and all that are being re-released, and it just it's wonderful, you know, to be able to see more detail. And if people are going to pay yet again, the Star Wars films are coming out in 4K, mm-hmm. which will be interesting because um, two of them were shot in 2K. Two so are they going to play them both at the, on like one on top of the other or something? Yeah, because not? that's really going to be Is Hayden Christensen going to be every speak. character? Is that, I mean, you know, Possibly. as opposed to just, yeah. Possibly. Do you actually like 4K? Uh, a good friend of mine, I went to his house, I watched a load of 4K movies, and he was like really excited about it, and um, I was thinking, this just looks horrible. I mean, this is, it's like real life, it's like looking out of a window, but I do not watch films because I want them to be like real life. I want that kind of layer of kind of oh, no, movie now, sheen. I agree, it's, it's the settings. So if you have it at the factory setting, you receive your television in, it will look like it's videotape. Whereas to give it that proper strobe effect of a cinema screen, you need to go into your settings and remove some of the HDRs. You need to turn them off. Mm. So you can kind of trial and error that. But once you get it right, it will work and it will be lovely. Or you could just watch a Blu-ray or a VHS. (laughs) Glorious 240. 
You could do that. But, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's put 4K down now. now uh, John, you've written a wonderful book called Harry House and the Lost Movies, just in case you'd forgotten. You have, you yes. have written it. It's a wonderful book. Um, it's full of incredible art and info on the many, many projects that Ray tinkered with over the years but didn't quite manage to make. Um, when you were researching this book, were you kind of uh, surprised by the sheer like, number of uh, films that Ray wants to get made that, that never happened? Yes, because Ray would speak about the films that were made fine. When I used to ask him, what about Sinbad Goes to Mars? Well, I don't want to talk about that. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, can't um, we just interview Ray Harryhausen here? It's like, yeah, that's that's very channel. That is really that's good. Really, I shouldn't really do that, but Vanessa, his daughter, said it's fine. And when you know him for that many years, his voice, he sounds like Charlton Heston to me in my head. So when I first met him, he's very tall and massive fingers. So I'd ask him, you know, what about these other films? <laughs> oh, sorry, that's a lot of detail. That should be yeah. his biography title. <laughs> that, that, very that true. Was that was that's well, so th- that's amazing, yeah. actually, that he could do all that fine work with massive fingers because I can't even text properly. And I've and seen you try to make an airfix kit. It's a disaster. Uh, it's so. Well, a little known fact is all of those miniatures were, in fact, 200 foot high. So he used his massive fingers. Well, his, his daughter described his hands as bunches of bananas right. because they were, they, were, they were like that. So, um, so Ray would be reluctant to talk about the films that run made because it's quite a painful creative experience to go through and, and recant those stories. So when we came to put the book together, instead of having one person do the forward, I contacted different filmmakers I knew and said to them, well, look, this is what Ray Harryhausen has in the cupboard. What about you, John Landis? What about you, Guillermo del Toro, John Borman, Mike Hodges, and Nicholas Meyer, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Quite a mix of filmmakers there, all fans of Ray Harryhausen, mm. and they all told me something about their own unmade projects in relation to Ray's vast amount of unmade projects. And it was a form of therapy. They all felt a bit better because they didn't realise Ray had nearly 80 projects that were unrealised. 80, can wow. you imagine? That's crazy. And, and he moved here, didn't he? He lived here. He lived here since the uh, early 1960s. Uh, which is, uh, so two of the greatest filmmakers, particularly in genre, Stanley Kubrick and Ray, moved to England, which you find you know, well away from the centre of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, that's quite interesting, and possibly for the same reason. No. No? Because Ray moved here specifically for the yellow sodium backing process, which was cheaper to do through rank laboratories okay. than it was to do... Um, through deluxe. Yeah, you idiot. Yeah, okay. well, that's kind of You're such sure, a moron. You know, go away. Go, go away. You know, exactly the same reason why Stanley could be with the right sentiment. <laughs> I was the yellow lying. sodium process, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't no. want to cause a family friction here. It's not Christmas, is yeah. it? You know? It's all right. I'm always put in my place, so I'm, I'm used to this part it's, of the oh. studio. I mean, realistically, Ray would have needed three or four lifetimes at the rate that he worked. Um, mm. I mean, the, the, the uh, Jason and the Argonauts uh, skeleton sequence, how long did that take? Like four, four and a half months or it something? It did, yes. And originally the film sequence for that was going to be set at night time. It was going to be set in hell. So when you see the uh, seven-headed hydra, the seven-headed hydra is guarding the entrance to Hades... And so when Jason takes the fleece, he flees into Hades because he's chased there by the Hydra. And there he disturbs dead soldiers. And they come to life from their graves and attack him and his men. The censors said, no, if you want a family certificate, no. So you cannot set a bewitched sequence like that at twilight or nighttime. It has to be. No brunch. They were like, how much, how much <laughs> yellow sodium have you been drinking? <laughs> I mean, I know everyone, no. <laughs> everyone defaults to the skeleton sequence as the, the standout scene, but the it's one great. I remember seeing when I was five on TV, and it would have been in black and white, that's the first time I saw Jason, but it's Talos. He's just an amazing creation and just intimidating and unrelenting, and I just 
seeing him and also the way that the Jason and his team, the Argonauts, knocked him out, that, that itself is just incredibly inventive and powerfully uh, visual. But that's the one for me. Well, it's great. You know, it's a great sequence. And these films are regularly talked about, re-released. Jason's in 4K, so we're hoping a 4K uh, release of that will be coming out shortly. So uh, through your research, um, obviously uh, you, you know about every film that he, he wants to make that he didn't make, but is there one that you find particularly heartbreaking? Like if you could go back in time and you could say, Ray, I'm going to give you the money, I'm going to make it happen, um, and he would say, okay, but let's just use the time travel machine. He'd get his uh, fingers ready, his big banana he'd fingers, he'd, he'd, he'd click it into He would get his banana fingers and he would say, which one? Which one <laughs> well, is it that you I, yeah, would like to make? I, th- I think the one that which would change his trajectory. You know, we talk about the butterfly effect. You know, when you do one thing, it changes everything. When Ray envisaged War of the Worlds before George Powell, oh, wow. it would have been on tripoded legs. Ray did sketches, Ray did paintings. He also did test footage of the Martians, which you can see in my book. And, and, on, and on YouTube, probably. Was it, was it period clips. set? Or and was it, it? it was pretty much period set. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about it was that he discussed that with George Powell, who then went and secured the rights for himself. Uh, and, uh, ouch. And that's not the only time that happened. It happened again. With George Powell. With George Powell for Time Machine. George Powell just stayed at home with a notepad waiting for him to ring and went, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, mate. That's what terrible. Next? So, you know, I mean, I, I'm. Producers, I'm, huh? Producers, I yeah. who'd Scum, have the Scum, Scum of the earth. But, you know, so fair, Twilight Zone comes out later this year from me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were good friends. You know, George Powell and Ray Harryhausen were good friends. So it's often the case that if we were all producers, we might be chasing the new John Grisham book and, you know, one of us might guess it. So. Yeah. Not me, I'm not interested. But, uh, you know, if, if we were no, producers I'm not interested. Are you genre. interested? I'm good. I yearn to tell the story of a man with banana hands. Yes, now. yes, Mr. That's, banana Hands. That's what I was going to call it. it. Damn you, Fraser. Okay, June 29, this year marks the centenary of Ray's birth. Obviously, um, sadly, he's no longer with us, uh, but his films are and his fans are. Um, you're working hard, I know, on various centenary events and celebrations for the summer. What can you, what can you tell us to, what, what we can expect? Well, we have a major exhibition taking place in Scotland at the National Gallery's um, exhibition space at the museum there. National Gallery of Scotland. And we're having the entire collection on show for the very first time in its fully restored state. So our, our conservator has been working on, on um, all of the creatures. I saw the full-size kraken, which is a, is a full size of a man's torso, so about this sort of wow. size. Uh, for people watching on radio, they can't tell what I'm doing, but I'm pointing to the top of my head and my midriff. And uh, I yeah, describe don't picture him... that, everyone. <laughs> well, maybe do. Um, I describe him as Love Island Kraken because he looks really now buffed up and looks looks you know looks amazing. Um, so the creatures will be seen better than ever before. We're going to show some footage, uh, test footage from race films and so on. So there's lots to see in screenings. We're doing, I think, some stuff with the Edinburgh Film Festival as well. We're also touring the exhibition. We're working with the Oscars Museum on their launch, which will be December this year. And we're speaking to the Lucas Museum of Narrative Film and Arts. When does that open? I'm not sure. But um, they've asked us to be part of that, so we've said yes. Well, gents, I think we've got a road trip when's to, the, uh, to when's Scotland. When's the opening yeah, party? Sounds amazing. <laughs> That's great. Busy year. I saw the San Diego Comic Con are doing. Um, they've asked for art commissions as well for right. Harryhausen for the brochure. Which yes, that's was, right. Which I thought was lovely. Yes, I think it's going to be lovely to see. So moving on from Ray, uh, now I know you're also a huge fan, John, of the camp cult classic Flash Gordon. As Ooh. are we all, I'm assuming. Um, Forty years old this year. Um, 
you're working on something quite special for that cash in on that right is that what you're up to i am and it's it's i um, mean to pay p- due homage to is it is it a peter duncan q and a it is duncan peter. In spare four- me the madness <laughs> in 4k in 4k no, um, no i'm i'm working on the first and only official making of flash gordon book um right. in fact i delivered the first draft this friday to titan books and the last draft um first week of march so it's been quite frantic for the last year. It's taken me um, a year to get this project together. It's with King Features, the rights holder yeah. for Flash Gordon. And I'm working with Studio Canal, who are the owners now of the Flash Gordon film. And they're working on a new 4K scan, which will wow. be released in May-June time. Are, are you getting, like, uh, a couple of pounds every time you say 4K, yeah. John? Because I'm, I'm <laughs> detecting, you know, there's a bit of a thing He's trying there. to bump it up to 8K. He really likes 4K. <laughs> yeah, give me 8K Just or give me tell him that we've all got 5K machines. 16K. Really yeah, yeah. 16K. Well, I think the, the really significant thing about it is that there's lots of films from when Ray was making Jason and Clash and so on that were pushed through the Oscars corridor by the studios that were considered to be main pictures that have sat on the shelf and haven't even been scanned for Blu-ray. So it's almost a badge of status, you know. It's it's, it's an award to say, we're taking this library release and we're going to do something special and we're going to do this UHD. Right, so John, (laughs) it is time now for your Vintage Geek Challenge. Uh, Three cheeky questions about your chosen subject, Flash Gordon. Um... Are you ready? I am. Ah. <laughs> Excellent. That actually wasn't the first question, but it was a question. So, uh, so, so far, the, the, the uh, record is one. One out of three. Can you beat one out of three? Uh, but I won that, uh, and I deserved it. You know, I really well, honestly, the second question was rubbish. <laughs> the way that I, I just I look at it, it's terrible. But still... I, I can't I give it to you. It just wouldn't be fair to John. We live and learn. Yeah. But I, I'm all about prizes, so what incentivizes me here? Have I got another book? Okay, question one. <laughs> an extra, an extra question 2K. One, no one dies in the palace without what? Without Ming's approval. Without permission from the emperor himself. Well, what, what do we say? The, the, the direct quote is a command from the emperor. Do we yeah, get that to him? No, 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 he's asked the question. You didn't ask for a quote. I think, yeah. I, even, okay. even though it works yeah, against yeah. me. <laughs> All right, okay, <laughs> okay. I, I'm just checking. Okay, 4K. that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Referring to the production problems that plagued the film, who described Flash Gordon as the only improvised $27 million movie ever made? Oh, the brilliant Mike Hodges, who's written the forward for my new book. Boy Excellent. Well. Like there, you yeah. got him to write the forward. Yes, indeed. Is, yeah. is the book in 4K? Oh. It is. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, question number three. For three out of three, and the grand prize, um, Ming the Merciless says that when he destroys a planet, he calls upon the great god Daizan. Daizan is Japanese for what? Destroyer? No. Hoover? That's a good guess. Hold Hoover. on. Hoover. Do, do, do this sound. I got this sound every five minutes. Thank you very much. Jeremy Daizan? That's harsh. God of... It's, it's great cruelty. Oh. My thesaurus would say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yes, well, uh, that, look, the movie. That's very good. Two out of three. Still ahead. Yeah. Still ahead of other people. Yeah, but it was okay. only three questions on one movie. I had to do with twelve from Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> you were the one that said Stanley Kubrick. You yeah, could have made it about. You, you could have said I want it about me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, you have to think ahead. You have to think ahead. Um, the movie was produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis, right? Um, he and Sam Jones really... Is it true they really hated each other? 
Um, I wouldn't say that they hated, but there was lots of problems on the film. This book is for the first time speaking to all the participants. And in the case of the great Dino De Laurentiis, of whom I'm an enormous fan and admirer, I've managed to speak to Martha De Laurentiis, his wife. I've spoken to all of the production personnel that, who are still with us. And some who aren't have um, lent me their last interviews from family and friends. So Dino fell out with Sam because um, Sam walked off the picture before they finished it. So there was lots of big disputes. Sam got into fights during filming. He was dubbed as well, right? Is that true? He was. He was. Yeah. He was. He was looped in by yeah. other actors in certain yeah. scenes because they had to because they didn't have Sam for it. Right. But most frustratingly, and I think this is where everyone agrees, including Sam, it was a big mistake when they were doing all of the um, the soft PR on couches like Good Morning America and so on, and uh, and Breakfast News had it been here at the time, they were sending Max von Sydow, who was a brilliant actor but quite dry person to speak yeah. to. When, of course, you want to see Flash from Flash Gordon and, yeah. and Dale Arden and so on. So he wasn't available for all of those tours. And I think that's what helped the film not punch through in America. Whereas in Europe and in Asia, it did extremely well. In the US, it wasn't a great, a great start. But um, a little interesting fact that even um, most of the people didn't know on the f- production, of which the book is full of, <laughs> Dino tried to buy Pinewood Studios because he was going to make three Flash Gordons back-to-back. Oh, God, I would have loved that. Would have I would loved have loved that. that. Exactly. We're in well, we're a little, symbiotic. A little, a little bit of trivia. I actually met Dino De Laurentiis. I went to his house and Martha was there. And right. it was uh, I was working at Universal Studios at the time and doing distribution deals on the movie Hannibal. And a lot of distributors came in and were asking for lots and lots of money. So I sold Japan, and that went for $14 million alone. And when people went into negotiation, they said, well, look, you've got Anthony Hopkins, but you don't have Jodie Foster. And Dino said, and I'm sorry, I'm going to do a crude, uh, hope, hopefully not an offensive Italian impression, but he said, the movies are not a called a Clarice. The movies are called the Hannibal. And that, yeah, that was pretty offensive. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm yes. sorry. I was so sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I lo- that was approved that by Dino. Shell. I love Super Mario. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me. It's a me. Dino. Well, John, thank you so much for coming in. And, and uh, John's book, uh, Ray Harrison, The Lost Movie, is available to buy everywhere. Uh, all good bookshops, most bad bookshops, probably just everywhere. Everywhere. And today it's been nominated for a Rondo Award. So congratulations. 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 Tuesday Takeover with Marshall Julius on FUBAR Radio.